Hi, I'm Ben Rizzuto, wealth strategist at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of futures. At Janice Henderson, we are committed to helping you invest in a brighter future for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Right now on Fast, Tesla's high-speed crash from a cratering stock to the denting of Elon's once pristine image. Is this rock bottom for the once red-hot EV maker, or is there more pain to come? Plus, travel nightmare. Southwest canceling thousands more flights today. This after a holiday weekend where so many travelers were left stranded. We'll go inside the financial and reputational impact. And later, zero COVID, no more in China. Beijing now ending the quarantine for travelers when they arrive starting next month. Will this bring a spending boom to the U.S. and Europe or just new waves of COVID? Maybe both. I'm Melissa Lee. This is Fast Money. We're live at the Nasdaq market site on the desk tonight. Mike Coe, Courtney Garcia, Victoria Fernandez and Steve Grasso. And we start off tonight with Tesla slumping more than 11 percent, the worst performer in the S&P 500, now down seven days in a row. Today, we learned the company is extending its pause on production in Shanghai, saying close an extra 11 days until the start of February. Then there's a report that used car prices for Tesla are tanking, and that's taking down new car prices, too. In all, during this slide, Tesla's lost $117 billion in market cap. That's about the size of an entire Goldman Sachs, a Boeing, or even a Starbucks. For the year, the once mighty Musk empire has seen more than $700 billion in market value go up in smoke. That's roughly a Home Depot, McDonald's, and Nike combined. And a small sign of just maybe how bad things are for Tesla and Musk, this was the front page of Drudge this afternoon. The bonfire of the Teslas picture of Musk with flames engulfing him in the background. Mike Coe, the volume we should add on top of this 11% decline was extraordinary. It was nearly triple the 30-day average volume. What did you make of the sell-off? Yeah, I mean, look, when you start seeing their cars piling up on the lots, when you start seeing the company offering incentives, which they are right now, although I don't think they're really calling it that, but you can get a $7,500 discount on threes and Ys and 10,000 miles of free supercharging, which actually isn't a huge benefit. You know, even in high priced for gas California, that's probably only a $500 value. But the fact is that Teslas were for a long time, the uh, used cars, you, people would buy these things and flip them right away. So the demand is simply not there. And of course, that's going to cause people to wonder whether the growth projections are sustainable. And they're going to wonder, of course, whether the margins are going to be sustainable. And if you see those kinds of things, you're going to see the multiple come down. That's what we're seeing. Yeah, there's all that plus interest rates. I mean, today, uh, certainly the 10-year yield didn't help. It didn't help any of the growth stocks overall, Victoria, and certainly it didn't help Tesla either in terms of lighting that fire under that decline. Yeah, I mean, you look at Tesla and it's basically just a, a broken growth um, stock right now. And at least that's how we view it. So it's not something that we think is going to add a lot of value into your portfolio. The fundamentals just aren't there. Mike was talking about the production issues that they're going to have, the inventory that's sitting around for them. I, I just don't think you have fundamentals to support the pricing that you see on this, even though the price has come down considerably. Where I do think you can use it and where we're using it is in our covered call strategy. Because of the volatility of the pricing, then we can write those calls sell those calls on those, roll them down as the price changes and continue to generate premium. So that's one way you can use Tesla stock in your portfolio without having just a pure long holding. 
Yeah. Courtney, are you getting inquiries from your clients about buying Tesla? Isn't now a good time to get in after this huge slide? I mean, (laughs) I would imagine there are plenty of retail investors who are thinking it's so bad, it's good to use a phrase that Carter Worth uses. <laughs> yes, I mean we we're definitely going to get those questions. I actually tend to get a lot of those questions as the stocks are hitting a top, not necessarily a bottom, which is always just um usually a bullish sign when everybody's trying to get in. I'm not getting a ton of it right now, so maybe it still has some room to go down. Um, But it is. I mean, it's facing production cuts. It's facing, um, they're having to offer incentives for people to buy them, which is never a good sign. And on top of that, you have Elon Musk, who's spending a lot of time at Twitter and has been selling um, his stock over at Tesla in order to benefit Twitter, which he says that he's done with that, but we really just don't know for the time being. And add on top of that, I mean, realistically, Tesla is an auto company. And if you compare this to like a Ford, for example, which trades at five times earnings and a Tesla, which trades at 21 times earnings, it is more than five times expensive and still at a premium to the markets. And that's where you're finally seeing this come down to earth here. And I think it could still have some ways to go. So it's not something that I would be touching currently. We should note that when we're citing used car prices for Tesla, the declines are steeper than other used cars. So that's why we're, I don't want to make it seem like we're picking on Tesla per se, but it's, it's notable because the decline in price in the used car lot has been steeper for Tesla. Mike, at some point, this is going to look good. It's going to be interesting. At what point is that for you? Yeah, well, I mean, one of the things we have to sort of uh, factor in here is is that, and one of the reasons is trading, you know, over 20 times earnings, as we were just hearing relative to Ford trading at just over five, is that I think most people still expect Tesla to grow. We expect to see good top-line revenue growth. You know, this is still a fast-growing car company, but it is a car company. It is trading at a premium. And yet one of the reasons that the used car prices did fall so steeply relative to other makes is because there was such high demand. In fact, their 2022 used cars were trading at a premium to the new one. So essentially, people who wanted to get one wanted to get it more quickly were often buying them directly from people who had put in orders some time before. So you know that's a very different dynamic than you had with other makers, and I think that helps explain. In fact, we actually saw that in the percentage of used cars for Tesla that were recent model cars. I think something like 25% of the used cars on the market for Tesla were 2022 models. So clearly, the people who were buying these things weren't buying them to own them and drive them. They were buying to flip them. And that's a speculative frenzy. It was in the stock, and it was in the cars, too. Yeah. um, It didn't help, Victoria, that we saw gas prices come down pretty sharply. I mean, pretty quickly in that same time frame where we saw Tesla used car prices come down as well. Um, You know, when when gasoline prices are high for a sustained period of time, they don't even have to be at record highs, but for a sustained period, that is better in general for EV makers, hybrid makers, et cetera. But when they go up and then they come back down, that's that's not a great scenario for them because people see that that things will will get better with a regular car. Right. And I mean, and that's not just a reflection on Tesla. We see it for all um, car makers that are making electric vehicles. But because Tesla has such a large market share, you see it there the most. And then you add on top of that. I mean, we are in the winter season. We know that the battery life is less in cold weather. We just went through this huge winter storm um, where people lost power so they couldn't charge their electric vehicle cars. So I think we're going to continue to see some struggles for Tesla on the demand side a little bit for new owners. I think that's different than the ones Mike is talking about where they buy them and they flip them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we'll we'll have a little bit of a cool off here as we go through the winter season. And as gas prices come down, we'll see if that turns around as we head into the spring and summer of next year. We have fixed the tech- technical difficulties with Steve Grasso. So, Steve, um, your take on Tesla, is it so bad it's good at this point? Yeah, you know, I think it's getting there, Melissa. So when you look at a chart, it looks horrific. But 
so does Rivian and so does Lucid and so does a lot of other, you know, EV names. So I don't think we can classify this because I've seen people try to make the uh, the leap that it's Musk overlaying over the stock. I don't think that's the case. I think you're seeing just the EV weakness. Maybe he hit you. He uh, started it and became precipitous. Uh, in a fall in Tesla, and it's kind of migrated to every other EV name. But it, it is almost getting to that point where it's so bad it's good. I've used the analogy pulling rabbits out of a hat. Every time we've counted Elon Musk out, something happens with this man, the company, or something. And I don't know, I don't want to call it smoke and mirrors, but it still is the name to be had in the EV space. Although, Every other every other automobile maker has competition finally. Yeah, I mean, that's coming uh, to fruition finally. I mean, that's been the bear case for so long that there's going to be all this competition. And now it is here. Um, the Ford F-150 Lightning, I mean, that that's a hot-selling uh, pickup truck at this point. And it's one of the country's best-selling pickup trucks, just, you know, combustible engine-wise. So electrifying it uh, is, is going to be a good thing for Ford, theoretically. Courtney, you know, Tesla has the advantage. Um, it had the brand name and the reputation for a while, unless you think Elon Musk's image is permanently tarnished. Uh, is this a bet? Let's let's um, back off the fast money moniker for, for just a minute. I mean, for the next three years, would you say Tesla or Apple? Mm. Tesla or Apple? That's an interesting one. Um, actually, you know, I, I still think I would take like an Apple over a Tesla right now. I just think you're going to likely years. continue to... Over three years. Yep, I actually still take an apple here. I, I do think Tesla, yes, it's coming down here. It's not to say it doesn't still have some room to come down here as it's coming shortly. I, I do think, yes, it's probably getting close to it's, it's so bad it's good. But I still think we're, we're there. You were comparing Ford to Tesla just a minute ago. Their valuations are extremely drastic, right? I mean, mm-hmm. a Tesla trades at more than four times as much as a Ford does. And at some point in time, that's going to come down. You're seeing Ford is really putting all their eggs in the EV basket right now. And I think that's going to continue to put a pressure on something like a um, Tesla. Whereas an Apple, for example, I do think a lot of their products are still going to be needed. And I do think you're, they have the benefit of a really positive cash position. And I would actually take an Apple over a Tesla here. Mike Coe, I, I saw you do a hmm when I put that question out, Apple or Tesla over three years. Which one would it be? Because, you know, we've been talking and we're going to talk about Apple later on in the show. But I mean, the, the general thesis is what else are they going to get the growth from? Services revenue is, is going to be the major catalyst. Is that going to be enough? And in three years, who will see the biggest gains? In terms of revenues, uh, on a percentage basis, well, Tesla will definitely yeah, Tesla's definitely going to outgrow Apple over the course of the next three years in terms of revenues and earnings. Does that completely justify its current multiple? I can't say. But a big distinction we need to make when we look at a company like Tesla relative to every other auto manufacturer actually is a little bit of this infrastructure issue. They have the supercharging network. Nobody else does. If you drive electric vehicles for any distance, and we have two of them in our household. I can tell you this makes a big difference. One of them is a Tesla. And, you know, the, having the supercharger network is a big deal. I don't know that people are really uh, factoring that in. I, I think it's going to be helpful for Ford. They're going to sell EVs, but it's not going to create huge revenue growth for that company. So they're going to be still a car maker. They're still going to be working within the dealership network. They're going to be a legacy automaker working in a legacy framework. Tesla doesn't play by the same rules. And they are going to grow, and they're going to grow materially, I think, over the course of the next three years. All right. Well, our next guest thinks investors should brace for more pain at Tesla, but there's a long-term bull case to be made. Gene Munster is managing partner at Loop, and he joins us on the Fast Line tonight. Gene, great to have you with us. Um, 
what what part of this goes away in terms of you know the COVID situation in China and the Shanghai um, factory getting back up and running, and and what part of this is just a, a more fundamental story about people not wanting to buy Teslas and Elon Musk's image being tarnished and Elon Musk being distracted at Twitter. I think probably 80% of it goes away ultimately. Uh, you outlined some of this vortex of negativity. Musk and Twitter discounts, Shanghai shut down, used car price in the macro, all of this. All of these, I think, are transitory uh, to use a Fed term. It can last a little longer than expected, and that's why I think as someone who is supportive and believes that this stock is undervalued here, I think that there still is some near term, and specifically very near term, is the market's going to be on pins and needles related to Tesla until January 1st when the December deliveries come The December deliveries are going to not capture uh, the piece of the discounting. 7% discounting might not sound like much for the month of December. That's going to impact profitability. And so you're going to have the, uh, I think you'll see a side relief on the delivery number near term, and then all of a sudden investors start to get nervous about what they're going to report in three or four weeks around the earnings. So we're not out of this. Uh, that's why I talk about brace for uh, more negativity, especially given the temperature of the market and it's a risk-off market. But I, I would ultimately come back to this question, is, um, and I forget which uh, of the panelists talked about this today, but is this a tech company or a car company? And I think that, to me, is the bigger question. If you think it's a car company, you should own it. Uh, this means that they're going to have uh, minimal market share, that their margins will go away, that other companies are going to catch up to them. If you think they have some sort of competitive tech advantage around manufacturing, whether it's FSD, batteries, um, that uh, will yield higher margins than typical, and there's a massive um, a market that they're getting into. So, Melissa, 80% of this is a vortex over the next month. I think the bigger question investors should be asking here is, is this a car or a tech company? If you believe it's a tech company, I think you should own it here, despite what the, the stock is trying to tell us. I think long-term, it goes higher. Yeah, that, that question has been the uh, sort of the existential <laughs> question facing all investors for some time when it comes to this stock, Gene. But if you think that 80% of the problems for Tesla uh, dissipate, how much of the market cap returns? How much of the multiple comes back? I, I think if you think about 2023 and into 2024, I think, um, you know, this, this isn't a, a stock recommendation, but I think that a lot of it does come back. It's right now it's trading at two and a half times revenue. That number, revenue number may be a little bit too high. Um, I think Apple's good comp on the services, hardware, and integration revenue. Apple's traded five times right now. So I think you can kind of retrace. It's not going to get Apple's multiple, but you can retrace some of that gap. And um, I think, uh, you know, it, it, essentially what investors need to see is pretty straightforward. They need to see the delivery numbers. They need to see the profit numbers. We're a month away from getting both of those. I think once uh, we get those, and it shows that the, the line is still intact, about the adoption curve, I think that the multiple can can have uh, some form of a rebound. Hey, Gene, it's Steve. So I'm going to ask I'm going to ask you what Melissa asked us. What, what do you think in three years out? I'm going to play Would You Rather in an A block, virtually unheard of with Gene Munster. Would you rather Apple or Tesla three years out? I would take Apple, and the reason is um, um, I mean to this idea that Apple is going to get into the car business. I think uh, Mark Herman from Bloomberg does a great job of covering this, and he's been spot on. He, uh, if you read his, his published work, he thinks they're going to do a car. If uh, I'm not willing to say that right now, but if they do get into the car business, that probably has a positive impact. I mean, they could double their revenue over the next 10 years based on a car business. 
I think probably have some sort of competitive pressure on Tesla. So I think both of these are going higher. Um, it sounds like out of touch with reality reasons on Apple. Uh, I think they have business, but I still think they're getting into segments that are far from uh, priced into Apple shares right now. Gene, just quickly, because we're out of time, um, if Elon Musk reduces his role at Tesla, maybe becomes chairman or something along those lines, does the stock go higher? Yes, I think it does, just for the simple fact. It's reassuring to investors that he's putting his attention. I think that just uh, helps investors sleep well at night. Investors sleep well at night, multiples go up. All right. Gene, great to have you. Thank you. Happy New Year. Gene Munster, Loop Ventures. Thank you. Victoria, your thoughts on, on that very question. Is the company better off without an Elon Musk now? I don't know. That's a tough question. I mean, he is Tesla. And so when you think of Tesla, you automatically think of Elon Musk. You think of the genius that he has and um, the innovation that he's brought. So I think that's kind of the competitive advantage that Tesla has right now. Does that wane if he's not there? Maybe. I'm not sure. I mean, I would rather see him reduce his role at Twitter, come in and take that um, that main role again over at Tesla and give some support to that stock. Like I said earlier, fundamentals aren't supporting the pricing that we're seeing. Maybe if he gives more attention back to Tesla and gets that innovative component back there, perhaps we see a little bit uh, stronger fundamentals there. All right. Up next, a less than lovely weekend for passengers of Southwest Airlines. Thousands of flights canceled, flyers stranded in airports across the country, and it could still take days for things to get back to normal. We'll break down the nightmare before and after Christmas and later opening the borders. What will the lifting of quarantine restrictions next month mean for travel in and out of Beijing? Could it lead to a massive spending boom from COVID-weary Chinese consumers? We'll break it down. Fast Money, be right back. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. 
Welcome back to Fast Money. The bomb cyclone wreaking havoc on holiday travel. Flight Aware says U.S. carriers canceled more than 15,000 flights over the long weekend. Southwest Airlines accounted for nearly 60 percent of those cancellations. That's 9,000 flights in the last two days and more than 12,000 since Friday. Southwest says it could be several days until things get back to normal. The Department of Transportation saying it will, quote unquote, closely examine Southwest's mass, uh, mass cancellations and check whether the airline is complying with certain DOT rules. Several members of Congress also weighed in now on that now. The stock finished the day down nearly 6%. One of the worst performers on the S&P 500. Uh, Courtney, you feel the pain personally from this one. You're someplace not where you normally are. <laughs> we should note the airline stocks overall across the board. Uh, they, had a, they had a bad day. Yeah, unfortunately, I, I felt this one firsthand. I was on one of these Southwest flights. Me, my husband, my ba- my one-year-old baby, and my dog got stranded in Albuquerque. Oh. Had to drive to California for 12 hours overnight. So I'm running on very little sleep right now. So I felt this one. Um, I do think, though, I mean, longer term, despite uh, my tr- issues with Southwest, I do still like them as a stock over the long run here. And I say that because that travel demand that we've seen this year is likely going to continue next year. And Southwest has had one of the better balance sheets among their peers right now. Um, they actually, among airlines, I think they have some of the highest cash per plane right now. Um, and I do think they're likely going to continue that going forward. And as much as this is a headline right now, and as much as I know people are upset, I do think likely this is going to fade away. I mean, we're going to all remember this Christmas where we couldn't travel place to place, but a lot of this is going to be weather related. And I don't think people are going to stop flying Southwest because they have a very niche um, um target audience here where there's a lot of places that they are the only ones who fly direct or they get you from place to place. I don't think that's going away. I don't think their loyalty program and their loyal customers are necessarily going to stop flying them because of this. Yeah, they're low cost, but, um, you know, eventually things get better. The issue, though, is that Southwest is the only one where the headlines are, you know, really focused on, Steve. If it were every single airline, then (laughs) maybe there'd be safety in a crowd. But Southwest is being singled out here. Exactly. And, and Courtney's 100 percent right on the balance sheet. So pre-pandemic, when we were going into this, uh, I, I believe it was it was Southwest. It was uh, Delta. might have been United, but Delta and, and Southwest stood out for their balance sheet. I think this will blur into the background eventually. But to your point, this is the billboard. Also, Chicago, Denver. These were where the issues were. So maybe that was the reason why this one underperformed the entire the, the entire group, because everyone was affected. So I'm sure we have we all have family or friends that were stranded in an airport. But when this one gets the headlines, ulti- ultimately, this will be a blip on their mm-hmm. earnings. But people will not fly because they've heard this story. So this could last a little bit longer than a one day, one week, one month event because people will listen to their friends and family and not get on Southwest for the next quarter. The action was heavy in the options market, Mike. You saw this earlier today. Yeah, this one traded more than 16 times its average daily put volume today. It was actually the 21st busiest single stock option. It's not one of the names that typically is in that top 50 list. The most active options were the weekly 34 strike puts. We saw a pile of those trading for about 52 cents. Of course, the stock did fall over 1% from midday into the close, at which point the next lower strike, the 33s, got exceptionally busy. Look, you know, Southwest has a focus on more discretionary travel than, say, United, which is going to have a bigger focus on the business traveler. And the discretionary traveler is the one that Steve was alluding to, the one that can decide that they're not going to go or maybe they're not going to go with Southwest. And so I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing this activity. People are uh, thinking this is going to have an impact that could could last for the next couple of months anyway. 
Yeah. For more options action, be sure to tune into the full show. That is Friday, New Year's Eve, Eve, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Much more Fast Money to come. Here's what's coming up next. A chip glut? What a difference a year makes for the semiconductor companies. We'll dip into the chip trade next. And later, who let the dogs out? A special December dogs edition of Trade It or Fade It. Can these zeros become heroes next year? You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out the slump in semi-stocks. NVIDIA, Marvell, NXP, and more all deep in the red today. This comes as chip inventories swell as consumers are buying fewer gadgets. Semiconductor companies now slashing production plans amid this weakening demand. Um, it's this whole glut issue, Grasso, that you, we've been talking about for some time. Yeah, this, this is it's natural, right? Every corporation that runs into a supply chain issue, what the normal reaction is, is to overorder. So if you if you need, you know, obviously simplistic, if you if you need three, you order six. But the truth is they've only used four. So if you're a Ford or your GM, you don't want to sit there and have no cars on the lot. You overorder the chips. And then the next layer of this problem is going to be there's going to be new chips. So everyone overordered these inferior chips so they become like a computer. You're driving around on a laptop. You wouldn't drive around in a six-month-old laptop, right? So you have to get the newer chips. This goes from a, a, a supply issue. Now we have a, we, we're in a glut. We went from drought to glut. And all of these, Melissa, I invite everyone to go back to the pandemic low and look at these things on a three-year chart. None of them are near their pandemic lows. So there is potential for these, all these names in the entire sector to fall quite a bit more. Yeah, you add to that on top of it, Victoria, that consumers are, t they have tighter budgets these days. Um, you know, interest rates are higher on their credit cards, et cetera. And so you have that headwind as well. Yeah, absolutely. And look, this is a very um, high beta sector, high beta names that you have here with the semis. And you have all of this talk and all of this concern about demand going away from the consumer, that we're going into a recession next year. So it makes sense that, as Steve mentioned, there could be some more potential downside for these names. So unless you think there's an all clear, which we don't, but if you think we're all clear going forward, there's going to be a soft landing and the economy is going to just bounce back, I don't know why you would want to put too many eggs of your basket here in a really highly cyclical, highly beta sector. What if you wanted to put one egg in, Mike? What, <laughs> what kind of chip maker, what kinds of chips, um, what kind of end market would you want to be exposed to? Uh, you know, ultimately, I think I'd probably want to be in the in the GPU space. But the problem is that that's the sector that I think still has a little bit further to fall. You take a look at a company like NVIDIA, for example, uh, as far as it's come in, uh, it's still trading at quite a premium to the market relatively. 
And you have to consider what was fueling all that demand. You know, if you think about the use for these chips outside of crypto, for example, you know, that growth is going to continue. But I have a feeling that we're going to see a little bit more downside here first. First of all, crypto is not going to come back. People aren't going to be, you know, falling all over each other to try to get the latest, you know, at least at home GPUs. And, you know, as far as people who use it for things like video and gaming, uh, that demand will continue to increase. But it's really a question of multiples. A multiple, in my view, is still just a little bit too high here. Yeah, we actually had a lot of miners close down in the in the past couple of weeks. So there's that headwind as well. Courtney, do you have any eggs in this sector? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely part of our exposure, but it's not something we're actively adding to right now. I do think if you're looking at names, Taiwan Semi has one, been one that I think looks a little more attractive here. Um, but also, it's one of our largest holdings in our emerging markets fund. So it's kind of a way of playing the semis, but also your emerging market play. Um, but if you're going to be looking at names, I think that's one you want to take a look at. All right, coming up, as China gets set to open its doors, will COVID zero create more chaos for consumers? We're joined by a China expert next on what to expect, plus investors taking another bite out of Apple. The big tech name falling to a new 52-week low today. That trade and more when Fast Money returns. Get your trades to go with the Fast Money podcast. Catch us anytime, anywhere. Follow today on your favorite podcasting app. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Another check in the markets today, a mixed day for the markets. The Dow posting a modest gain, while the S&P finished down just under half a percent. The Nasdaq falling nearly 1.4 percent. Rising rates, one of the key catalysts hurting the growth names. The tenure uh, rising 10 basis points today, hitting 3.85 percent. Yields in Germany today hitting an 11-year high. Um, I'll go to Victoria, the self-proclaimed credit nerd. <laughs> what you make of, of the bond market action? Yeah, don't blame me. I love the bond market. I manage fixed income portfolios. So this is really exciting for me. Um, you look at this 10-year, we're up to a 385. You mentioned the German boons. You look at what the yield curve has done just over the last week or so. You have twos to tens right now below 60 basis point spread. That was up above 80 not that long ago. You actually are not inverted tens to 30s except for a dip at the 20-year mark currently today, which is unusual. We haven't seen that um, in a while. So I think the market is telling you, look, we've heard the ECB, they're going to continue to move rates higher. We heard what the BOJ was doing, even though they're saying it's not a, a true shift in their policy. They allow that yield curve control to go a little bit higher. Um, and so you have the market saying, look, yields could go a little bit more. I don't think we're going to go too far above where we were earlier in the year, that 425, 430 level on the 10-year treasury. But I think we'll make our way back up there. The difference now is to look at that versus credit spreads. Credit spreads have actually tightened, which tells me we're not seeing higher yields because people are concerned about the economy. We're seeing higher yields because of Fed funds rates and central banks, but they're actually pretty confident in what the economy is doing with credit spreads remaining tighter and only out 30 basis points or so on 10-year paper for the year. Well, China's decision to dramatically relax COVID zero policy is coming with deadly consequences. COVID cases spiking and there are reports of hospitals being overwhelmed. Still, China now ready to lift another major restriction, ending the travel quarantine January 8th. Investors cheering the news. The FXI, the ETF for large cap Chinese companies and the K-Web that track Chinese Internet names, both finishing with strong gains. But our next guest suggests there's too much optimism surrounding a coming post-lockdown economic boom. Stephen Roach is the former chairman of Morgan Stanley Asia. He's now a Yale University senior fellow. Um, Stephen, great to have you back. Um, 
Are, um, is China worse off in terms of its projected economic growth, ripping the Band-Aids off, so to speak, versus keeping to the COVID zero policy? No, Melissa. I mean, China's going to rebound uh, next year in part because of uh, lifting of uh, zero COVID and also because of <coughs> stimulus to the property sector. But it's going to be a, a muted uh, uh, ring. And most importantly, don't use the, um, uh, the U.S. Uh, reopening experience, experience as a guide to what to expect in China. The behavioral shock that um, occurred under zero COVID is, is going to be long lasting. Uh, and, you know, meanwhile, you know, in, in dealing with this highly transmissible uh, Omicron, they have lousy vaccines, they've under vaccinated uh, the elderly, and they have limited um, uh, intensive care unit capacity in their hospital system. So, you know, again, it's going to you're going to see a dead cat bounce, but um, it's not going to be great. In terms of how it impacts economic growth, um, Stephen, the fact that it's going to probably hit the elderly population the hardest, and I don't mean to sound callous about this because this is not no laughing matter at all, um, perhaps that might not dent the you know, economy as much simply because this is not the working part of the, of the country. It's not the sort of the young males, young females who are out in the factories, out in the office buildings, et cetera. Well, I'm going to stand up for the elderly, uh, uh, Melissa, uh, in China and uh, and and elsewhere. Uh, they're a, a, a large uh, and probably the largest growing segment of um, uh, Chinese society, and um, you know their uh, ability to uh, to cope with uh, this uh, virus with very 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 inadequate. Uh, vaccines and being under uh, uh, vaccinated and seemingly unwilling to uh, take the jab jab here uh, does uh, have a, a pretty pervasive impacts on on the entire sort of social consciousness consciousness in China. Um, what would you be advising uh, businesses if you were you know back at Morgan Stanley Stephen in terms of how to navigate this reopening which you know people will want to map it out according to what they saw in other countries. But this is going to be very different. And, and also it'll be different because we won't necessarily know official government numbers in terms of deaths and the true impact of all of this. I'd certainly be cautious. But again, don't just uh, apply uh, the trajectory that we've seen in uh, more vaccinated um, economies like the United States or Europe that use uh, this highly um, um, uh, successful uh, mna uh, vaccine technology and recognize, recognize that you know what china has been through over the last few years uh but especially over the last few months with this zero COVID, zero covid is likely to have lingering uh behavioral aftershock so uh just because they have done a 180 on, on policy does not mean that the economy is just gonna spring back um uh, miraculously, as we've seen, seen uh, in uh, other better protected, more vaccinated systems. Hi, Stephen. This is Courtney here, and thanks for joining us. Um, I am curious. So you mentioned a little earlier, you said you cannot compare the China reopening to the U.S. reopening, the kind of demand that we saw going back into the economy. I'm curious why you can't make that distinction one versus the other, because we saw quite a boom here in the U.S., so I think one would believe that would happen in China. And I guess what would be your argument against that? 
Well, again, Courtney, and, and you have my sympathies for having driven 12 hours from uh, wherever it was, Albuquerque. But um, thank you. <laughs> uh, the, the, the aftershocks that China's going through right now are uh, really pretty traumatic for this uh, rapidly, rapidly in, uh, under-vaccinated segment of the society. And, you know, they had, you know, most of us were, most of us were very of zero COVID, but the one thing uh, you could say about it that was positive is, is it was a, you know, very well thought out draconian plan. What they've done with, you know, going from zero to non zero uh, COVID, if you want to call it that, is they have no plan. Uh, you know, they just keep uh, uh, announcing new, new provisions, you know, every every few days. And, you know, they've, they've taken down the testing stations. They're going to reopen, <coughs> reopen them. And I just unprepared uh, for uh, the chaos that now seems to be unfolding uh, as Omicron uh, spreads to a society that's much further away from herd immunity than, than uh, more advanced uh, nations are. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. We do appreciate it, as always. Stephen Roach. Um, by the way, of course, we've also talked to former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb about, about China and its uh, COVID zero scrapping. Um, and he raises the, the, the possibility that new variants will come to our shores with this lifting of the travel restriction. That certainly seems to be the case, that there could be further spread uh, to other countries, including the United States. We saw those stocks rally as if this is going to be just like the reopening we saw here, just like the reopening we saw in Europe, Steve. What do you think? Yeah, so, so Stephen said that just because they lift the COVID restrictions doesn't mean that growth comes back. But to your point, that could mean that the stocks all spring back. The reason why we haven't seen every time they say when they're lifting the COVID restrictions, they bounce, but they bounce less because people and investors are starting to become numb every time they say it again and don't mean it. I will tell you the conspiracy theory of the night for me and probably of 2023, you can't invade Taiwan if you had COVID restrictions on. So for me, I think that they're starting to gear up, maybe maybe not a full invasion, but I think they're dabbling around it. So that's my, that's my conspiracy theory for 2023, but I think the stocks are investable and that bounce will be longer lasting as long as they don't reverse yet again in the next week. Do you think that the Chinese army is worried about a travel ban restricting its return to China once it invades Taiwan? I don't really get I don't get the conspiracy no, theory and how that works have, here. With this. Have, because because it looks like you're talking out of both sides of your mouth. If you're if you're keeping people indoors and no one else can go out. But yet the army is allowed to go out, which I get, you know, that to your point, you're sort of in that situation now. But you look inferior to the rest of the world if you're worried about a virus, yet you're going to invade another another country. So I think they want to appear strong. They want to get past COVID before they invade anything. They want to appear very strong. All right. We highlight that that is a conspiracy theory. Simply it's my theory. theory and my theory alone. Okay, all right, good. You're claiming ownership. Up next, Apple dropping to a new 52-week low. Shares now at their lowest level since June of last year. One of our traders says the stock is now closing in on make-it-or-break-it levels. 
Then from make it or break it to trade it or fade it, which one would you choose when it comes to this beaten up automaker? We will find out what our traders think when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. Let's take a look at the dogs of December. Expedia, Ford, Salesforce, and Goldman are some of the worst S&P performers this month, all dropping double digits with just days to go until the new year. So will the December freeze hold? Let's play a game of... (laughs) Trade it or fade it! That was a pregnant pause done for dramatic effect. All right, that's right. Trade it or fade it, America's favorite fast money game. Let's kick it off with Salesforce. The stock is on pace for its worst December since 2011. Steve Grasso, trade it or fade it? I'm going to trade this one. This has more to do with technicals than fundamentals. This one has been piled out of uh, as far as the stock. I, I, I think it's uh, this is you, you mentioned on Tesla. It's so bad. It's good. I think that's what I'm getting on CRM. So uh, when you when you run out of sellers, I think you got to look for the buyers. I think buyers should be coming into the name. Mike, what do you say? Uh, I would fade this one. You know, you take a look at employee stock based compensation. This thing really doesn't look attractive. I mean, shareholders are not the winners when it comes to Salesforce. And I think people might be finally digesting that fact. And that's the reason you see this weakness. Next up, Expedia, the online travel agency has lost more than 19 percent this month. Courtney, trade it or fade it? I would trade this year. Um, I do think that, that demand for travel is likely only going to continue as we look to 2023. This is very multifaceted. You're getting hotels, you're getting airlines. They also have VRBO, which is a great competitor, Airbnb. Trades it less than 10 times forward earnings. This is something I'd look at as an opportunity. Victoria, trade it or fade it? No, I'm going to fade it. I think you've got a troubled business. The margins were hit more than what we expected last time. They didn't reinstate their dividend. So I think you fade this. Ford, meantime, ending its day near its 52-week low. The carmaker continuing its downward slide. So, Mike, trade it or fade it? Uh, I'm going to trade this one simply based on valuation, a little over five times earnings. Uh, I think we're probably, you know, getting into a very weak time for the automakers, but I think a lot of that is already priced in, and we've got a nice dividend in here, and that probably is going to lend some people to the dogs of the Dow support that you might get in the new year. Mm. Courtney. Yeah, I think Mike has a lot of great points, though. I am going to fade it. This is more short term here. I do think the auto sector, which you mentioned, is still going to face some issues as interest rates are not coming down as fast as we want them to. You're seeing the affordability of cars is still a problem for people. I think that's going to put some pressure, not just on Ford, everyone. It is very cheap as a long term investor. Look at it. But short term, I would fade it. All right. Goldman Sachs dropping more than 11 percent this month. Victoria, trade it or fade it? Yeah, I'm going to trade this one. We've liked financials. They've taken a hit on the chin, but we're warming up to them again. I mean, their global markets did well. Their consumer and wealth management did well. You've got a 3% dividend. Um, So I think Goldman is a name you can add here. You guys have been so well behaved in playing this game (laughs) and abiding by the rules. Steve Grasso, what do you say? Goldman Sachs, trade it or fade it? So this is a fade for me. And I think you sense that I might not be playing by the rules on this one. This is a fade for me, but it's a trade. Uh, as I get deeper into next year. And Mike Mayo from Wells kind of brought me around to uh, listening to him and his analysis, brought me around to the financials. I think he he coined the phrase recession ready. So in the space, I'll I'll, I'll do a would you rather. J.P. Morgan's the best financial. Goldman Sachs, I would be a trader next year. I'm a fader now. I broke every rule in this game. I apologize. 
My, my head is spinning. <laughs> One for the Fast Money History books, that's for sure. Um, up next, it's been a long December for Apple. The stock hitting a new low for the year today. Will 2023 bring some joy or another year of pain? Stick around. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Apple falling more than 1% today and hitting a new low for the year. The stock is now down almost 27% for the year. That's roughly 7% worse than the S&P for 2022. And the tech giant is now approaching a couple of key levels that Steve has been pounding the table on. Steve, what are you watching? I don't know if I've been pounding the table on it, but I've definitely been pointing them out. So uh, this was actually one of them. And then when we dip here, it becomes every nickel. Every nickel is $5, basically, right? So it becomes 125, 120 in the stock price, Melissa. But after 120, it gets really, really messy in the name. And what I keep coming back to is you don't call the bottom when they sell all the frothy stuff. You call the bottom when you sell the core of your holdings. And no one is selling Apple yet. You talk to anyone who's holding it, I'm one of them. And they say, well, I know that it's going to be a little bit of headwinds going forward. It can go lower. I'm holding out. And as Gene said, three years out, two years out, one year out, people are more optimistic. And if they start building a car, people will pile into this one. You want Apple to build a car? I don't know. Victoria, do you want Apple to build a car? You're, if you're an Apple shareholder, do you want that distraction? Do you want that uh, you know, extra line of business? So we are an Apple shareholder, and I'm not sure I want to see them put too much into that. Obviously, they have all these projects going on in the background, and that's fine. But I wanted to see them focus on the um, subscribers that they have to all of their services right now. They have a great product base, both geographically and for the, the number of products in their earnings last quarter. That base has grown tremendously. I'd rather see them focus there on innovative devices versus a car. All right. Up next, final trades. Time for the final trade. Around the horn we go. Victoria. We say, why don't you add a little health care to your portfolio in the new year? With Cigna, they have double-digit growth. They're trading at 14 times, which is a reasonable valuation, and they're increasing their commercial market share. So Cigna. Courtney. Um, Delta, I know we talked about the airlines earlier. Um, I do think that travel is going to continue. I'm not picking them over Southwest because of what happened this weekend, but I do really like Delta <laughs> here. I think it's a good way to play it. Mike uh, so bad, maybe it's okay. Walgreens Boots Alliance are going to be announcing earnings next week. Mid-single-digit multiple. They do have some liability facing with the opioids and stuff like right. that, but I still think it might be a buy. Ticker, Steve. J.P. Morgan. All right, thanks for watching Fast. Taking stock starts right now. When you visit a state as big and diverse as Texas, there are a million different trips you can take. Let's say you've got an appetite for whitewater kayaking. You can get your own. So this is why they call it Devil's River. Trip to Texas. Or maybe you have an actual appetite. I'll take a pound of brisket, six ribs, uh, three links of sausage, and a, a piece of pecan pie. Trip to Texas. Go to TravelTexas.com slash get your own for the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours.